we, uh, Sandy and I, have the pleasure this weekend of receiving some dear friends in our home. They were visiting Amelia Island, and so they said, well, well we're already in Florida, we'll just stop by. Uh, but Amelia Island's about six hours or so from here, so it was not a small journey that they made just to see us. And uh, we, uh, we know the Hohenbergers, Steve and Joanne, from Mexico. Uh, when we were down there, Steve, right when he was about my age, retired from a comfortable church situation in northern Virginia, and he did what basically everybody does when they, when they retire. Uh, he moved to Mexico to a town of 1,200 people, moved into a single room, built uh, an apartment uh, with his, largely with his own hands uh, in order to minister to foster children at a foster home that we supported uh, down there at this little town in Mexico. Uh, and also, he, he then moved into the city and ministered to the English-speaking. We had an English-speaking population uh, associated with our church, and, and he became something like the pastor of the English-speaking church there and, and preached wonderful sermons to us there. And so uh, we have great respect and love for Steve and Joanne. And they're back in the States now, near family in Northern Virginia. And uh, I, I, saw, I thought, well, if they're visiting, I, I can't let him get away without having him preach to you this morning. And he's preaching on Psalm 47. And so it's, uh, it's a, a privilege and a joy to welcome Steve to our pulpit this morning as he brings the Word of God to us. Welcome, brother. Greetings to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. That sounded a whole lot better than how I remember it. <laughs> Uh, Larry's a very generous brother. And I sat there this morning wondering, do I really need to preach this sermon? Because the songs chosen and the readings tell the story to a significant degree. But I want to read Psalm 47 for you this morning. Hear the word of God. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for your word. We long uh, not simply to uh, hear it or to hear a sermon. Uh, We long to have your Holy Spirit come and speak to our hearts so that what we hear from your word would be transformative in our lives. Help your people here today, Father. Help me to make things clear and help your people as they listen to give their hearts attention 
to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you handle joy? Uh, you got the new job. You, uh, your team won the big game. Uh, you fill in the blank there. Well, that may seem like a silly question because what do you do with joy? Well, you just enjoy it. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you sit back and are glad for what happened. How about difficulty? How do you handle difficulty or pressure? Uh, that seems like a very different question, doesn't it? Much harder, maybe. More challenging to, uh, to deal with pressures. And I, I won't list the list, but I'm sure many of you are filling in the blank of something difficult in your own situation right now. Well, here's what I want to suggest to you this morning, that Psalm 47 gives the same answer to both of those questions, that it's really at the heart of God's reign over all things, and we will try to unfold that a bit this morning. You notice first, as we look at the text, that Israel celebrated God's sovereign authority. Uh, They'd been established in the land by his work. That's verses 3 and 4. He subdued peoples under us, nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. He'd given them a place to be. But then we also learn that he was enthroned. Now, that's generally, of course, you can see, oh, yes, he says uh, uh, God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. Here's the part where it's a little more difficult to follow. Hang with me, please. I'm convinced that the language of Psalm 47 draws on some older Old Testament passages and that, in fact, what the writer is referring to is the arrival of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem that David brought there according to 2 Samuel 5, 6, and 7, And also, I noticed we had a reading from 1 Chronicles 16. Well done, brother. (laughs) Uh, 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. Those are the texts in the background of this psalm. Uh, The writer is not referring to a recurring festival in the life of the people of God, of Israel. He's referring to a particular event. There's no evidence in Scripture for what some writers say was just a festival that kept happening year after year. What there is evidence of, because of the language parallels, is that the writer is thinking, look what God did when he came. Uh, Let me draw your attention to a couple verses, and we'll be back and forth a bit here. But in in 2 Samuel, if I say first again, smack me. Second Samuel chapter 6, uh, David arose and went with all the people who were with him to bring up the ark of God from Baal Judah, the ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. The point there is that David having learned that the ark had brought prosperity to its 
temporary dwelling place in another part of Israel, realized it belongs here in the capital, and I'm going to move it. And then if you know the story, you know that he went about it the wrong way the first time, and someone died as a result, because apparently David hadn't familiarized himself with God's law and its requirements for moving the ark. But then he went a second time to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. Now, the joy of that is found in uh, part of the reading we had, but I'd encourage you, please, to take a few minutes later today and read First Chronicles 15 and 16. That is David's song of praise to God for the great things that he was seeing and that he was delighting in, the coming of God's symbol of kingship. The people enjoyed God's kingship over all the earth. Verse 1, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Uh, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Uh, Verse, sorry, lost that note. Yes, verses 6 to 8. Won't read them again. Same theme. God is king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. But when you look back at the texts in 2 Samuel and you read what David wrote recorded in 1 Chronicles, you find that David was really over the top with delight in this fact. And, And let me try to explain what I think was the reason for David's being so overjoyed at the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. God had made certain promises to David, hadn't he? Promises about David's house and his kingdom. His kingdom would reign forever, God had told David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, He was established as king himself. And now something else comes along the joining of which with David's own kingship brings him ecstatic joy. What was it? It's the arrival of the symbol of the throne of God in Jerusalem so that David's kingship established by God's mercy and God's own kingship are joined together. That's the sense of what's going on in Psalm 47 when you reflect on the background passages to it. David's great delight is in the fact that this symbol of God's kingship, the Ark of the Covenant, had been brought near and put in the tent that he set up for it, and his own throne, David's own throne, was established there. Um. So Israel celebrated God's sovereign authority. They were established in the land. God was enthroned in the city, and they enjoyed God's kingship over all the earth, and David especially enjoyed that. Now we need to move forward a step. That's the background, and with that background, I hope you can lay hold of this next thought, which is that God's call to us 
is to celebrate or to join that celebration as David celebrated. Except the call now is even more necessary. Because something further has happened with regard to the throne of God and the throne of God's Messiah. They've been joined forever. It's not a, an ark of the covenant, a symbol of God's uh, reign over the earth brought to the physical city of Jerusalem. It's the throne of God himself in heaven and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, lifted up on high and now reigning with the Father forever. I can't say that dramatically enough to drive it home to you, okay? And what I've learned over quite a few years now of preaching is that I mustn't depend on my own oratorical skills, which are slim, you see. But may the Holy Spirit drive it home to you that there is, there is a reason for us to delight in the work of God that answers not only the issues of how do I handle difficulty, but also answers the question, how do I handle joy? What really thrills my heart? Why, it's not some small success in this world. We can enjoy those things, gifts of God. I'm not taking that away. But what really needs to thrill our hearts is the fact that our God reigns. And he reigns through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his people and for the sake of his world. He is doing great things. You've had references to that in the prayer this morning, in the songs. We see the kingdom of God expanding. I've had, uh, my wife and I had privilege a few years ago after the return from Mexico and through a contact with a, with a fellow pastor to travel to Malawi. That's, hardly anybody knows where Malawi is, but it's, but it's way down sort of toward the southeastern coast of Africa. It's a tiny little country of about 17 million people. And what they don't have in Malawi is any, much of any training for pastors. There, there are some works developing, but, but there are many pastors who are so poor that they can't begin to take time away to go to school, as your pastor and I had the privilege of doing at different points in our lives uh, many years ago. They can't do that. And so I had the opportunity to go and help this brother teach a course, part of a series of courses for pastors. Why? Because there's a church in Malawi. Because there are people who love the Lord Jesus in that little land. As poor as they are in the midst of drought and then drenching rains that wash away the topsoil and there's nothing left to plant in, still there's a church there where people love the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why? Because the king is on the throne. <laughs> because he's accomplishing good things for his kingdom, for his church, for his people, for his world.
So the call to celebrate is even more necessary because now David's Lord and greater son, the true Messiah, the King of glory, the Lord of glory, the resurrected and ascended King is at the right hand of the Father. I just finished. Uh, By the way, let me underscore your pastor's encouragement. Read the word. You'll find things you don't understand, but read them. And over time, God will grant understanding to you and you'll have teaching. Read the word. I just finished Matthew yesterday. And Matthew, of course, ends with those words that Jesus spoke. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority given. You see, what Jesus said there at the end of Matthew 28 is actually the real fulfillment of Psalm 47. God's Messiah King has now been given all authority. And the things that bother us in this life, let's try to keep them in perspective because they really are quite small compared to what the Savior is doing. And the things that give us joy in this life or contentment or happiness or a measure of peace, let's remember this life is fleeting. And those things come and go. And I don't want to take away from the fact that they're pleasant, But let's not focus on them so fully that we lose sight of the real source of joy and contentment in this life. It's easy, I think, maybe easier to be swept away by the good things that happen and be distracted from the kingdom of God even than being swept away by the difficulties that come. Difficulties at least humble us so that then we know we have to cry out to God for help. We might not do it as quickly as we ought, but we recognize it. But success, prosperity, comfort, wow, they can become their own kind of God. And we just delight in them instead of in our Savior. This psalm teaches us something significant about prayer. Uh, it's not the focus of the psalm, and yet it's, it's an underlying uh, reality that I think we often overlook. Prayer needs to include praise. Uh, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. The Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. If you're like me, there is a tendency to turn prayer into another word that begins with P, and that's petition. So that all we do in prayer is ask for stuff, or tell God our problems and ask him to intervene. And it's good to do that, but it's not good to do it to the exclusion of praising our great king who reigns over all. That's a hard lesson for me because I'm used to asking God for stuff. I'm used to telling him what the problem is and asking him to intervene in some way. And again, that's fine. But if we're forgetting how great our God is, 
then the asking itself can become kind of self-defeating because we're not really expecting him to do very much of anything because he's not so great in our own heads. The key then to asking in faith is to begin with worship. To be sure your thinking is clear on how great God is and that he is able to do whatever he chooses to do by his sovereign goodness and grace. Let me talk for a minute about difficulties, though, because they arise for sure. Uh, Very briefly, a personal experience, just to help you get the lay of the land. Uh, Last summer, I had two surgeries. Uh, Any of you that have had a surgery know what you're asked to do before the surgery. There's a document you need to sign. And that document says that you have been, it has been explained to you what the benefits of the surgery might be, but also that you might not make it. Okay? There is a distinct possibility when you go into a surgery that you might die. And so I signed those papers twice last summer. Now, that didn't bother me because there have been other surgeries, and I knew the Lord brought me through, and so I didn't think too much more about whether I was going to survive or not. After one of the surgeries, I had my eye on a truck. Sorry, I love trucks. I don't have one, but I love trucks. And this was a beautiful used truck, and I'd been looking at it on the lot, and finally it was available to test drive, and I test drove it. And I was even more excited about it. And I told the guy that I was really interested. And I went home, and I called a son-in-law who I thought might be interested in one of the vehicles we own. And turns out he was, and we quickly agreed on a price for that vehicle. And then I went to my wife. Here's the big one, guys. I went to my wife and asked about buying this truck, if we could sell such and such. And she said, yes, I think that's a good idea, Steve. And I'm thinking, all the ducks are falling in a line. And so I get on the phone and I call Mac at the little shop where they're selling a half a dozen or so vehicles at a time. Can I talk to Mac? Oh, just a moment. And there's a significant pause, and finally Mac picks up. I said, hey, Mac, it's Steve Hohenberger. You know that truck I've been looking at? He says, excuse me, Mr. Hohenberger, I'm writing a a sales contract on that truck right now. Earlier this afternoon, somebody came in and drove it and liked it so much that they decided to buy it right on the spot. And I said, oh, thanks, Mac. Click. (laughs) Okay, now, my point is that sometimes big things throw us for a loop. And sometimes relatively small things can be more difficult. In my case last summer, the big thing of signing papers that says, you might die in this surgery, no big deal. (laughs) But the truck, oh my goodness. (laughs) Took me a little bit to recover from that one, to remind myself that God sovereignly orders these things, that the truck didn't disappear simply because I took too long to get back but because 
he didn't intend for me to have it. Amen. Now, there are far worse things than signing papers before a surgery, and there are far less significant things than not getting the truck you had your eye on for a few weeks, okay? There's a whole range of possibilities of difficulties that come to us in this life. But God is sovereignly overseeing all of them. And nothing will come your way that God has not planned for your good. And if we believe that, then when those things come, we may be knocked back a bit, but we're going to stop and say, No, Lord, I know you have a better plan than I had. And I want to go with your plan, not mine. That's what it is to live by faith, isn't it? You recognize the goodness of God. You believe by his grace that he is for you. You've turned to his son to put your trust in him, having turned from sin. You know that the Lord receives you. And then you live by faith in the light of that set of convictions. And even though it's very hard at times, you learn to turn away from your own doubts or frustrations or desires that would override your sense of the goodness of God and his provision for you, and you walk forward trusting him. So the psalm's about prayer. Prayer needs to include praise. But it also is about living by faith in the course of this life and learning to trust the risen Savior in the various difficulties of life. One last thought this morning. We've looked at how Israel celebrated God's sovereign authority, God's call to us to join the celebration and to expand it. And the last thought is, I invite you to keep in mind that God's sovereign authority extends to the nations in blessing through the gospel. If you still have your Bible open, look at verses 1 and 9. They are wrapped around this psalm. Clap your hands, all people. Well, we could clap, but we better not have music at this point. (laughs) My, no, no, it's okay. My my ringtone is the theme from uh, Mission Impossible. <laughs> so I feel much worse than you, dear sister, when mine goes off in this situation because everybody's thinking I'm a secret agent, you know. So. Verse 1, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. Verse 9, 
the princes of the peoples gather as, look at this, as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth, shields is a metaphor for kings or rulers. You can verify that by comparing some other psalms. The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now you see what the writer has done is wrapped this psalm in language that says the blessing of Abraham is going to come to the nations. All peoples are to clap their hands and shout to God with loud songs of joy. And even the princes, the leaders of the peoples, you know, I've I've been praying about the situation in Ukraine for many months now. And every once in a while, I pray that God would just crush Vladimir Putin. I'm sorry if there are any Russian people here. I don't mean any offense. Uh, But then I realize, you know, I could also pray that God would lay hold of his heart (laughs) and turn him to himself. Because the shields of the earth belong to God. He can turn anyone. That's the extent of his sovereign authority over this world. He can turn anyone. So the writer expected that the princes would gather as the people of the God of Abraham. What faith was being expressed in this psalm? How did that come to pass? I don't mean the faith that the writer had. I mean, how did his expectation come to be filled or fulfilled? Well, there are many parts of Scripture that could tell us that, could answer that question. But John chapter 12 is one that that I think maybe says it most clearly. There's a discussion back and forth. Some Greeks come. They want to see Jesus. Jesus starts talking about seed falling to the ground and dying and producing. And and then he's talking about, then he says, toward the end of John 12, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. What lifting up was Jesus talking about? Well, so that there would not be any confusion, the Holy Spirit directed John to say in the very next verse, Jesus was talking about the way he would die. Those aren't the exact words, but you can look at it, verse 40 or 41 of John 12. The lifting up that Jesus was speaking about was the cross. The cross is the open door for the nations to turn to the living God in faith. That's how it happens, folks. I know you all know that. But I like to be reminded of such good things periodically, and that's what I'm trying to do for you. The cross is the open door by which nations are called to the living God. And it's marvelous. Now buried, then raised, then ascended to heaven, 
The Lord Jesus is the true Messiah whose reign is established next to the throne of the Father. He reigns over all things. Last summer, early June it was, the people of the United Kingdom uh, celebrated the 70th anniversary of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. Some of you may have watched, if you're TV watchers, maybe you saw some of it. Quite a spectacular celebration. I can imagine being British and being there for it must have been really exciting. It's nothing. It was nothing compared to the celebration that is ours over the eternal reign of our God. Amen. Nothing like it, dear people. The king is on the throne. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. So his call to you as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. Invite people to come and hear the word. Invite people to turn to Jesus. Now, you might not do that in one conversation, but you work at building relationships and getting to know people and letting them see you live a life that sometimes falters, but more and more consistently involves trusting God who is on the throne so that you might live for him. Let's pray together. Take my words now, Father, insofar as they have accurately reflected your word. Use them in the hearts of these, your people.